Hello everyone, welcome back to Requiem Radio. With me today, I have two special guests and I could easily say close friends that I've been enjoying your company for a while now. With me, I have John1135 and Noku TV. John, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm John1135 or that's on Twitter handle is XI35. Uh, one of the names I go is by John Ederkrisen. And I host spaces on Twitter now to just simply discuss things like um, philosophy and whatever is on, on our heads or just hang out. And uh, mostly I do them with my friend here, Noku. And we also do readings on books. One of the current readings that we're doing right now is on the Gorgias by Plato. Uh, hopefully <laughs> we'll be done by it maybe in about a month. We always do them every Friday now. But yeah, that's, uh, that's who I am. <laughs> Thank you, John. And Noku, would you care to introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, hello. My Twitter handle is Noku TV. I've been blessed with being able to befriend Sola and John here. And um, I, too, am active on Twitter spaces. And I, uh, I do readings with John and then uh, just interact with people that I come across, um, some of whom share my faith as a Catholic. Other people don't. But I always try to learn. From others and uh that's why i'm here yeah and i'm glad i was able to get you guys on this episode because i could comfortably say you two are some of the leading people especially online for our circles that are there for advice and not only in like philosophy but other concepts of the you know one holy church and that's something that i just want to say i feel like gets underappreciated a lot so from me personally thank you guys both for what you do it means a lot to a lot of people yeah but thank you thank you going on to questions i'm assuming you guys weren't always as you are now. So what initially sparked your interest in philosophy and how has it evolved over the years? Yeah. Um, well, for me, it, it was, um, I guess it, it, it started out really with political philosophy or political theory. Uh, this was also like during the 2016 elections. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got curious on, you know, as I, the more I got involved in like, looking and talking about politics, the more it kind of just pushed me into looking more into political theory and political philosophy, just to understand more about like, where am I, where am I coming from? And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I am, I guess uh, you could say Republican, but primarily I'm a conservative at the time, like, like that. Um, but what does it mean like to, you know, like be conservative or as you know, I would say like conservative values and all. What are the principles? And I uh, most of this really for me um, was formed by by my dad, um, who is uh, pretty much the main influence in my life. He always taught me whatever, uh, no, no matter what. Um, and so I usually try just to emulate what my dad does, and uh, especially when it comes to politics, just like any other uh, person invested on that too. Um, and and yeah, you know, that's that's where I started off. My dad gave me like a a, a basis for it, a formation for it. And um, he always directed me to, you know, just, you know, like, you know, just stay in your lane in a sense uh, to say that just uh, don't just don't just listen to whatever. Don't just read whatever. He, he was very encouraging in me sort of pursuing this more and uh, also just you know, reading, you know, the same people, you know, people that are not necessarily always like thought as political philosophers, so like G.K. Chesterton, for example, and um, um, I went in on C.S. Lewis and all. Part of the reason why I kind of went from, you know, from political philosophy or political theory in that regard to kind of more theology. <laughs> I see it there, you're holding me or Christianity. Yeah, nice. 
uh, need to reread that. So at some point in my life, I kind of went from you know investing from an investment from political philosophy to actually like more like on theology. And I think this was probably at the year uh, maybe 2018. Because at this point, well, a couple of things happened uh, to uh, to me. Well, I moved to the United States. I was originally from uh, you know living in Puerto Rico. And um, I got a job offer uh, for uh, in my uh, around uh, around the south, just leave it like that. <laughs> and uh, and when I moved into Louisiana, actually, um, I was um, pretty much by myself, and all the people that I kind of interacted with were uh, like from Discord. And I got more acquainted with like uh, uh, more religious. Uh, and po- uh, political, uh, sort of political and religious sort of servers around. That was mostly the people I was uh, talking to. So I was talking to people about politics, but at the same time, I was also, you know, you know, getting to talk about like religion. Um, and as someone from a Protestant background, you know, I also got acquainted with people who were more like Catholics and others, um, mostly Catholics actually. And this was uh, by, I think it was. Because of the YouTuber Dave the Distributist, where I joined his his server at the time, it was called Clear Trats. and yeah, you know, just uh, talking more about people. I was talking more about like those things, uh, you know, church, uh, something, you know, sometimes about like um, theology or rather not theology, but you know, just apologetics really. And from apologetics, there, you know, there was like you know the talk about existence of God and other things there. Yeah. Anyway, um, so just to kind of uh, bring it back here. So it, it came to the point where, you know, I was like investing in some things about politics and political philosophy, political theory and all that, not to get them too much mixed up here. Because, uh, you know, for me, like the, the latter had, it was more like me under, it was kind of more like a sociological uh, study about like why people are like this, why people, you know, like, well, you know, why people in politics act like this or hold these positions and all that. And then there was like political philosophy, which is more just kind of like understanding the, the nature of like these principles. And so on um, that people hold. And yeah, anyway, um, and I and I was more associated with that sort of things on right wing politics, especially those uh, like that were considered to be a bit heterodox for like the common sort of, you know, um, these are people in the, in the political scene, I guess you can say. Um, I wasn't that invested, but I was like, you know, invested in things like the whole like uh, neo-reactionary sort of stuff, um, particularly Molbug. Um, as, uh, I was reading like his blog posts around also this time too. But anyway, yeah, it, it, as I was, you know, as, uh, you know, getting invested with that, I was also getting invested with things that had to, you know, do with religion um, because I didn't want to like leave that. Uh, it kind of dawned on me during this time when I moved into Louisiana, and my dad confronted me about this. I was kind of not, um, you know, just taking care of that. So you know, as I was kind of trying to, I guess you can say, just you know, figure uh, figure those things out again. Because at that point, I remember that I wasn't even going to church that much or uh, that time. Yeah, that was one of the things that my dad confronted me that he was concerned about. So. Um, you know, I started to join more like the sort of the uh, the religion Discord servers stuff there, and I also got more involved in like you know some ministry, a campus ministry, then the college that I transferred to over there as I transfer uh, transferred for a job there too. So yeah, that kind of how it, uh, it went. That trajectory went like that. It was concern. It was a concern of like that I was just 
not doing well. <laughs> um, I was never really like say like an atheist and all that, but I wasn't necessarily um, the most well practiced uh, Christian. Even though I used to be like very involved in church stuff because my parents both were involved, were both involved, and uh, they got me and my brothers and sisters also involved in in ways in ways that we also very, very much, um, enjoyed. It was formed the background of us and all. But anyway, you know, at this point in my life, I was just not as involved as I used to be. So I try, so I'm, as I'm kind of like exploring things in philosophy and all that, I was also trying to change things in my attitude uh, in the way that I would approach uh, religion too. And, you know, very, very primarily Christianity. How was I, how was I approaching these things? So, uh, and this kind of, you know, with my interactions with Catholics and all that, obviously there's like a lot of like debate there and all that, but I was just more concerned about, you know, just uh, trying to, hey, I need to do things. I need to do things better. I need to get involved more. So as I joined, as I moved, joined the campus ministry and all that, I was still, you know, like uh, dealing with all this stuff at the same. So there was like, you know, philosophy. There was like, uh, there was uh, Christianity. Um, you know, how I was doing all this, these things. Anyway, yeah, and I guess around maybe 2019, that's where um, it came to me. Uh, just to skip a bit of some stuff here like for me it, it, it you know like that's where i started to more about like catholicism seriously as to, as for what it is because a lot of like um i realized that there, i had a lot of misconceptions about it and um i also tried to sort of you know understand it better and that's where it kind of it, it came for me as a as a call to kind of like explore it more and more and all but it wasn't until um sometime um, I think it was actually late 2019 where I did make the decision to kind of like go to, uh, to, well, I did actually make the decision to go to the local RCIA there. Um, but then COVID hit in 2020 and I wasn't able to uh, participate there, but it was um, not until like uh, 2022 um, where I just got, found a local parish when I moved here in Georgia, you know, try to join, um, be more, uh, just learn more about Catholicism as I did that. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, for me how things went in a very uh, sort of overall view. Yeah. Thank you, John. And definitely sounds like almost a butterfly effect or one small thing happens and it just spreads into a giant almost wave of all these other events coming together. Glad to see you are where you are today and I can't wait to see you grow more. And for you, Noku, same question. Yeah, well, um, a, a lot of my journey in philosophy begins in uh, personal experience. I, uh, prior to getting into philosophy, I was, uh, I, I lived a, a blessed life, um, thank God. But the, the blessings of life were somewhat bittersweet because I did not understand the reason behind them. Um, I enjoyed them, but they, they uh, seemed meaningless um, by and large. Uh, I, I knew that I, 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 uh, loved helping people um uh, helping people develop uh, i was involved in a project that that involved um helping talented people from around the world develop their skills and uh, that, that was a great blessing seeing someone um with potential with ability um realize that potential and go on to accomplish great things and and that gave me a lot of uh, joy but again, I, I didn't understand the reason behind things. So uh, ultimately, it, it, it kind of seemed meaningless. 
um, even though it was enjoyable, it was uh, without a, a purpose. And at this time, um, as an American, um, also experiencing uh, life as as an American and the discourse between Americans, which at that time was uh, very economic. This is before things became more uh, social. So a lot of the economic uh, discourse in, in America among Americans was between capitalism and socialism. And at that time, be before getting into these economic debates, again, related to what I was saying about um, my blessed life, uh, I was very worldly. I didn't think about religion at all. Um, I was the kind of person that would respond to the question, are you religious or whatever, with uh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Um, I would, uh, I, I, I cared a lot. Well, I appreciated um, Christianity, for example, and Christ, but uh, not to the point of, of joining any religion. It was more so uh, a kind of spirituality that was a mixed bag of a bunch of different things. And then, um, so... So like I was saying with uh, so that was that was me at the time, spiritual, not religious, getting involved in economic debates. And early on, listening to both sides, both the capitalists and the socialists, the side that made sense to be more uh, were the capitalists. Um, they they seemed to have better arguments and included in uh, these people that were making the case for capitalism were um a school of economics, uh, it's called the the Austrian school. And I found out about them and I would, uh, one in particular, his name is Ludwig von Mises. He, he seemed to be one of the greater economists in that tradition. And there is an institute that is devoted to promoting his uh, thought. And I would keep up with that institute. They would publish videos and articles and I would read them. But I didn't think I would mostly consume uh, uh, this this kind of content. And that's why, I, as I read, um, as I started to kind of get more involved in this, I began to read more. And I read, for instance, uh, uh, Mises, he wrote a book on socialism in the 1920s. And that, that was a great book because he seemed to have refuted socialism in it. Um, he kind of showed that uh, if you have a, a planned economy, then you can't have um, economic calculation. And if you don't have economic calculation, then a bunch of bad things happen. So um, I, I, I was grateful to just uh, learn from so many different Austrians. Uh, included in that list is Ron Paul, Hans Hoppe, Murray Rothbard. He in particular was uh, very influential to me. He seemed to be... Uh, one of the more honest Austrians, and he, he promoted um, anarcho-capitalism, which at the time made a lot of sense to me. Um, but then uh, as time went on, uh, learning from this particular institute, the Mises Institute, and reading the books, I, I learned more and more. And that's when I came across uh, a few interesting people, um, including in that list is uh, Tom Woods, who is a, uh, a Catholic um, Austrian economist, and and he wrote a book called um, "How the West Built," uh, how the Catholic Church built Western civilization, and he was kind of going into what the Catholic Church did in in Europe, and I was amazed um, learning all that, 
And around that time, I also learned about um, a philosopher named Edward Fazer because he uh, was, he seemed to be uh, Austrian in a way, and he was um, a step up from what I was used to because he was a, a formal philosopher compared to others which were economists and that kind of thing. So he, Edward Fazer, wrote on this very important principle for libertarians, uh, the self-ownership principle. And uh, it, that was my, I could say, my first introduction to higher level philosophy is learning from Fazer. And he kind of pointed to, he kind of showed some problems with the self-ownership principle, which is very important uh, among um, the more philosophical libertarians like Hans Hoppe. And so that that's when I began to uh, grow skeptical of libertarianism. And 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 then I also discovered um, uh, through the Mises Institute, another economist, his name was Jesus Huerta de Soto. And he did a, a bit of work on, uh, it's called the School of Salamanca, which was a, a Catholic institution that made a lot of discoveries centuries before the main economists like Adam Smith. And then also, if you're an Austrian, Karl Menger and uh, Eugene Bonvaverk. So um, all these things came together, discovering Fazer, discovering Woods, discovering Jesus Huerta de Soto. And at that point, I was uh, skeptical of, of libertarianism because there seemed to be some uh, shortcomings with it. A lot of the shortcomings seem to be uh, moral in nature. So th there were these questions about morality that I couldn't answer um, as a libertarian. And, and, and so you have all these also Catholic Austrians, which, which finally led me to look into uh, the, the Catholic Church and take it a little bit more seriously because they seem to, in the case of the School of Salamanca, they were economists, but they also answered or seemed to answer the moral questions. Um, at around this time, there was a tragedy in, in France uh, where a church, uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, uh, was, uh, was, was burned. And um, I remember uh, witnessing that and uh, thinking to myself, why would anybody do that? It's a church. They don't hurt anybody. Um, such a bad thing to do. But what, uh, what moved me was a response by Catholics, which is a very solemn response to their church burning they they would pray and uh th that moved me and at that point i was i was drawn closer to um the catholic faith and then that's when i made my first uh steps into higher level philosophy with a uh, philosopher called uh, uh gary goulagrange um gary goulagrange is a 20th century uh catholic philosopher and i, I remember reading his books and uh, take, taking forever getting through them. So it took me about two months to get through two pages of his, one of his books. But that was very good uh, practice uh, when it comes to philosophy. And so since then, uh, I, I, I pursued the faith. Uh, um, and I, I kind of let, left economics to the side and just came to appreciate uh, what the church had to offer. And, uh, and, and, and ever since then, um, I. I joined Twitter and I, at first I would talk with people about um, economics, but then it became about uh, my faith. And uh, through Twitter, I've been able to meet um, uh, many beautiful people, two of which I'm speaking to right now. And, uh, and 
fast forward uh, a bit, I, I met John and we started to host Twitter spaces where we would read whatever we wanted to. Um, and over time, th this was inspired by other people that were doing it. We weren't the first to do it. There were other people, very smart people that did that. But we followed in their footsteps. Um, and ever since then, uh, I, I've come to just get to know a bunch of people, uh, Sola and John being uh, some of them, and have had the privilege to learn from them. And, and that, that, that's kind of been my journey from uh, just life in America as this kind of new agey, nihilistic person to to a catholic thank you and something i know is similar in both you guys is that you started in like political economic theory and not even for just youtube but like a lot of people i meet in general who are recent converts to the church is that they almost find a sense of wanting more or like finding a higher purpose like thinking to yourself like is this it like are humans just you know here to bicker about property rights or like these legalistic concepts when the church provides far more than that it gives you an actual purpose it says there's more to life than just this and then that's something i find very fascinating and beautiful how it's almost like we joke around a lot that it's like the libertarian to catholic pipeline for people who get really into it but going on to the next question i want to ask you guys could either of you share a philosophical idea or concept that was very profoundly influenced in your thinking like what was it a piece of literature or a work, or was it like, you know, a treatise or an essay that made you think like, wow, like this is what made me, you know, this is what sold it to me. This is what got me to take my leap of faith and like get into this. What do you think, John? Yeah, I'm still thinking about that, uh, that one, because, uh, you know, I think um, for me, the text that I always come back to is uh, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, which I read it um, as more as an apologetic sort of text but uh it goes more uh, and really uh, <laughs> there because uh, you're seeing chesterton explaining you know um christianity uh <laughs> he, he he is not necessarily being theological uh on occasions uh, but he is however you know speaking to how you know so how far so far gone you know man has uh you know went into the deep end of like the nine the most basic things and and affirm the most insane things in his in his time um and yeah the, i really like the text in the way that he is kind of a bit of a mystical thinker in some in some ways because uh he has a lot of appreciation towards like uh fairy tales and and that uh, sort of uh, put me uh, put things for me in a very different light there um and yeah the so I would say, like, Orthodoxy is one of those texts that really did uh, have an impact. It's one of those, uh, my my dad's favorite texts, too. Um, that's, how, that's how I found out about it. My brother was the one that kind of, like, uh, gave me a link to uh, look for it and all. But, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it is, uh, Chesterton's, like, uh, works were always, uh, are always uh, interesting. Uh, the way that he says very simple things sometimes, but they, he makes it look big. Um, but like, it, I guess the idea, you know, he comes in to talk about, you know, it's Christianity is, uh, you know, like something, it has paradoxes or there's mystery in it, but all these things come to illuminate. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I, I would say that, uh, it's not, like I said, it's, it, it, it's not like this sort of, uh, I guess you can say a uh, very complex philosophical theme and all that, but it is one that it does look very impact 
impacted me in the way that I approach things and the way that I kind of like also was approaching my face too at the time. But yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, John. And what about for you, Noku? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an interesting question as there's an ambulance in the background, but, uh, it's an interesting question. And, um, I don't know if it's a concept, but the Eucharist has changed my life. So like I was talking about my reversion to the faith because I was baptized Catholic, but uh, I was worldly for most of my life. When I when I began to uh, revert to the faith, I discovered uh, the Eucharist. And the reason why the Eucharist was significant was because I, I always sought to get to the root of things. It's always been uh, attractive to go beyond the surface, not concern myself with what most people are doing, but try to go uh, deeper than than the superficial. And in in the Eucharist, I uh, I discovered uh, the deepest truth that there is, um, which raises a lot of questions. And then, um, but it it has ever since I have rediscovered it. Let's say. Uh, it, it has changed my life and what I do and what I think is is related to that. So um, when when seeking answers to many questions, the main question I have in the back of my head is how does it relate to the Eucharist? Um, the Eucharist being uh, the heart of God, um, which the Second Vatican Council tells us is the source and the summit of the Christian life. So that is that has truly changed my life. But um, I'm skeptical of it being uh, a concept because of how personal uh, it seems to be. And and so that that would be it right there. Yeah, I'd like to ask you that later down the road, comparing classical thought to modernist and why you have a pet peeve for things like concept and worldview in regards to people using that for framing Christianity. But until then, my next question would be along the lines where I actually got to ask this a lot for people who wonder why I'm interested or people like us are interested in philosophy and theology. They would say, how do you approach a balance between abstract philosophical thinking and its practical implications of everyday life? So more of the question, when do you guys know like, hey, this is very far out theory to I could apply this in everyday life. And you want to go first on that, John? Well, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not necessarily like a, philo a philosopher by discipline, but I, but I try to do what I can as a, as a layman and try to, you know, see and get and proper habits when it comes to. Well, if I may reframe the question, then yeah. what use does philosophy have to the layman, people like us? Yeah, well, it, it, discourse, you know, like you know, being able to. Uh, explore you know the things uh, you know ideas that we hold being able to explore ourselves and, and and sort of be able to have a dialogue on things uh, with respect to those things like that pertain to the good you know which is not really one of those uh things i i always kind of like talk about very explicitly but it, it does uh, come back to that and um and, and of course i uh, uh, you know like I, I usually what i try to do is like avoid um getting too invested in jargon because that's something that happens to me a couple of times uh uh depending on the on the subject that uh it gets very difficult to communicate uh you know things that are supposed to be like you know Im impact someone and um of course um it, uh, so i try to see uh, you know like if i have an idea i find it interesting and all that one of the things i try to do as a, a part of my practice is it can I be able to explain it back, you know, to someone um, 
whether or not they are initiated, let's say they aren't are initiated in the same stuff that I've uh, you know looked into or thought about this before or, or haven't read the same text, you know, some of those things, can I be able to sort of bring it back uh, to them, explain them to them? Because if I can sort of go through those barriers, then, then in, in a sense, I've proven to myself that I understand w- what I kind of thought to, uh, to by myself. But that's why I, I never try to just simply read stuff by myself uh, right now and all. That's why I have Noku here to kind of like, you know, be able to read something and you know see what if we can communicate it and then you know also be able to e- extend this you know sort of circle to other people that's why we do it in twitter spaces so that you know people can come in and talk about things uh, sometimes you have very learned people or people you know also like asking questions to us sometimes these questions are a bit pro- uh, you know thought provoking to us too so that's a, also a good thing to kind of like you know keep on you know not just simply um just this the, uh, you can say circle jerk <laughs> for for lack of a better way of putting it and all. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so I I always try to you know see uh, the the relevance of it. Well, one way that I try to do it is just to see if it, can I be able to explain it to myself as before I was able to like you know understand it and all, uh, or explain it to others who are not initiated uh, and see how that is. Because uh, I know that these things may seem sort of abstract, especially the, the current topics that Noku and I speak about, but they do pertain to, you know, um, the, the whole enter- enterprise of, of philosophy. Um, I do believe that if you don't have like this, I think that you're going to probably have a bad, uh, bad time in the long run as to, you know, you can get very invested. So we talk about like common sense. And of course, when we use this term common sense, we're using it in the more sort of uh, like the way that um, uh, Thomas and Aristotelians would use this term, kind of more that on um, um, par with like intuition or so. And um, we always, our focus on, is on this because there is a, a sense that like a lot of the sort of criticisms of philosophy being too abstract is because of the way that it doesn't ground itself uh, on the on the first truths. And, uh, and those uh, first truths are, you know, it's what me and Noku are trying to, you know, uh, talk about, trying to figure out how do we are able to explain this uh, to others. And um, also, yeah, like I said, you know, see see if it helps others too on that. Because uh, ultimately we don't see that, you know, like philosophy is not just simply some academic enterprise. Everybody's going to live it out in some way. People are going to talk about things. You and your friends, if you go to, you know, wherever, you know, you're always going to talk about something that's it's not just simply um, about, you know, the, the time of the day or so. And all. Uh, you're going to talk about, um, you know, things that pertain to your friendship, things that pertain to like, you know, you know, like uh, you're seeking out advice on something like uh, and things that uh, like, uh, you know, how, what and discernment on whatever it is. It could be like religion. It could be um, very important decisions in your life in general. And, you know, so people, you know, want to seek uh, wisdom on these things. And ultimately we do believe that philosophy is the law of wisdom as it says so in the name. Yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> I hope that, uh, that uh, that's a bit clear on, on that point. I know that I haven't, uh, I have a habit to not be very coherent sometimes in, in the way that I say things, so yeah. No, I think they answered it really well. And I'd say it's kind of funny, but for me, a lot of stuff goes back to me used to thinking philosophy is like you said, you know, it's just a circle jerk, it's for people using word salad, throwing around, seeing who can make the bigger book, who can make the more complex sentences. And then over time, I remember first being introduced to the dialogues of Plato in high school and going over Socrates and them discussing 
the it's Socrates' irony where he would ask people a question, he'll keep asking them until they realize like they do not know what they're talking about. And I thought to myself, like, okay, this is silly, but for a thought experiment I did it myself where I'd ask myself a series of questions until I realized like, wait, I'm getting to a circular definition here. I need to think about this more. And it was intriguing to me because I thought, you know, what does it mean for man to be good? What does it mean for evil to exist? Like what is evil? And a lot of that really got me intrigued and thinking, you know, getting back more into theology, like what are these concepts here? What does the Bible say in a lot of this stuff? And that's something that really fascinated me. And it's, I would say philosophy has definitely been a blessing and a curse where it has provided a lot of clarity in some places, but also burned a hunger in my stomach to learn more and find more and keep exploring more once. But um, Noki, what about you? Yeah, similar, similar to John, um, someone who has been very influential to me uh is two people and then another it would be uh who john mentioned earlier which is um gk chesterton because the guy seemed to be very wise but very uh mm, simple in, in his speech so he would he he has these insights that are that make you think but he says them in a clear way in a simple way um, but then related to that is a, a personal hero of mine. Um, his name is uh, Peter Kreeft, or Kreeft. Uh, he's a Catholic philosopher who's still alive today. And much like Chesterton, he has this gift of being able to explain complex things in a simple way. And and this theme of, of being able to, to explain complex things in a simple way, that's one of the things that I love to do the most. Uh, so if I do uh, read books, the goal in the end is to be able to explain them in a simple way, uh, which makes me think about explain the word, what it means. It seems to mean to make clear, um, to make easy to see, but uh, you, you can't make something easy to see if you can't see it easily yourself. So there's a very important uh, uh, aspect to explanation where you have to understand it you have to be able to see it well in order to impart that vision, in order to teach people. So that that that's really been at the heart of what I try to do. And the third person, uh, Chesterton, Kreef, the third person is uh, Richard Feynman. Uh, Richard Feynman is a, a 20th century American scientist. He, he worked on the uh, atom bomb and um, he has a, a technique. It's called the Feynman technique. And when I first discovered it a few years ago, I realized that up until then, I never knew how to learn. And so upon discovering his, his, his technique, that's when I first began how to learn. And it, it was around this time that, uh, like I mentioned prior, I started to get into philosophy through Father Gary Goulagrange. And so, it, like I said, it took, it took me two months to get through two pages, but a lot of the struggle lied in taking what was complex in the book and being able to explain it in a simple way. And so that took a long time, two months for two pages. But like I said before, it was it was great practice, but it also inspired me. And that's that's what I try to do to this very day. Um, because uh, like John mentioned about common sense, for example, um, when I speak to people today, they consider common sense to be abstract. They consider it to be relative to, to each person. So, um, it, but but that's the problem, and and that's what I've devoted myself to trying to explain. Because if humans can 
recognize common sense, then they have a common ground to uh, to 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 live alongside each other that is that is rooted in truth. And so that that's been a lot of my uh, uh, my mission is exploring common sense, the first truths, and being able to explain them in a simple way, so that hopefully uh, it inspires people to get more into philosophy. Uh, not that they are not already philosophers, because that's that's why common sense is significant, because it shows us that humans are naturally philosophical. We recognize the first truths, but uh, sometimes it's it's hard to come around to understanding that. And so that's that's what I devote a lot of my time to is exploring the first truths and being able to explain them. But why, though? Because, as I said prior, the Eucharist is at the heart of what I do. And there, there does seem to be a kind of natural communion among humans uh, that, that occurs when they partake in dialogue. But uh, honest dialogue, uh, a dialogue where both people that are speaking to each other uh, can agree on the truth, which seems to be um, happening less and less, partly because of ideology, speaking as a former libertarian. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoy coming across different people and then and then finding that common ground and then being able to learn with them uh, instead of what I was more used to in the past as a libertarian, which was I have the truth and you don't. And all you have to do is just believe what I say, which uh, in the end is is very harmful, not only to the person doing it, but but to the society and to the nation. And so, yeah, thank you. And going on about philosophy, as we already know, it is a very diverse and large field of study. You have all kinds of different branches from metaphysics to ethics to logic to political philosophy. You, the list goes on and on. But I want to know more about what you guys are mainly reading into, which is classical philosophy. And my question for you guys, and really for you viewers as well listening in, why should I read classical philosophy? Why not analytic or continental? What is it that makes classical philosophy unique or different from the others? Well, I would just uh, uh, <laughs> bluntly say is that because the ancients were right. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I do kind of like to say this uh, uh, you know, provocatively. Um, I say that, you know, like Parmenides was right, Plato was right, Heraclitus was right, Thales was right. Um, but they were right in, in, in certain respects. Um, yeah, I, I really uh, want and part of why I'm saying it like, like that is because I'm also reacting towards the way that people's, you know, the common sort of notion of philosophy as like either a proto-science or this sort of like um, view of like the history of philosophy is just like, you know, ideas succeeding other ideas and, you know, just uh, bringing the old, throwing out the new and all that. When it's not always that 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 like that, it's uh, you know, um, you know the the way that I see philosophy as in in, in history is similar to how like uh, it was presented by uh, uh, the uh, the Frederick Copleston's in his history of philosophy. Um, he sees it as a discourse throughout time, um, and it usually is the same things being passed down that you know people are engaging in, and um, you know those are yeah. Uh, when someone looking into the ancients and all that, uh, you know, you you look at Thales, he said that uh, you know all is water. Uh, you you look at then then you look at the the successor saying that it's air. 
or, and then you get to Heraclitus saying that it's fire. Um, you know, but th- but this, uh, you know, in saying this, what what are they actually saying? You know, and people tend to take it that you know it's just maybe a sci- just merely a scientific hypothesis before you can even do quote before you can quote unquote do science and all pr- properly. And that's kind of the, that's where I said that that's where it's, it's it's a misconception of what the Greeks were doing. In a sense, they were doing science. But of course, you know, science, how it was traditionally understood, not necessarily because they just didn't have a, a correct perception of science. Uh, no, it's just that, you know, when they, when it comes to them, you know, Thales, let's go to Thales there, you know, saying that, you know, all this water, you know, what he is really saying is not that, like, this is my scientific hypothesis and the sort of the modern sense about it and everything, you know, like uh, everything is solved or something like that. Um, that's not, not not necessarily what is going on there. Um, he's saying all is water, but at the same time, he's say, he's also saying that you know all has gods or all has souls too, um, and that's that gives you a better idea of you know what this is sort of saying in a way there. Um, but you know, do you find what what you find is more is a declaration of like what what is this that you know all things have in common. What is it that you know trans uh, is there because there seems to be that uh, on the appearance of the of difference on the appearance of change a change and all um you know nothing at all is it kind of in a sense you know not you know staying uh, like as one but at the same time there is this uh, there is this sort of thing beyond like the experience in itself where it kind of like you know there there is something being shared and all that so, like, I guess you, to say to say this, it's like, you know, what is that thing that is all things have in common? What is that common principle? Um, you know, the, this would be like the RK. And uh, so, like, so when Thales is saying that, you know, all is water, but he said the RK is water, you know, and uh, that's to say that, you know, that's that is that is. And this is like what I mean about it. it's not merely like just a, like a proto scientific hypothesis or so and all that. Yes, it's scientific, but in more, in the more traditional sense of that term, not merely we're not merely talking about the physical sciences like uh, like that of what we see today with physics, chemistry, and the rest. Um, but we but we are seeing that you know it's, we're going from what it merely appears to what uh, to what there is, and so yeah, that that would be like the way that I say that like the Greeks had it right, um, the ancients overall had it had it right. Um, and what you see uh, from Thales onward is this consideration of, of the, the RK and all that. Um, that's what you see with Heraclitus. And Heraclitus has more things to say than just simply saying that all is in flux, um, too. You know, there's, he's also considering the same you know, things that, uh, that his predecessors were considering. And um, you know, that's why you find things like, for example, his understanding of Logos, the divine law, and um, yeah, that, so anyway, you know, the ancient, uh, so the, I guess you uh, to kind of maybe put it all together, like the ancients had it right in insofar as, you know, they, they, they understood that there was something beyond just merely what, what is appearance, what is beyond like this change. There is something that it, it kind of is one, you can say, and this uh, something that, you know, stays something that, that is immutable behind all that, uh, behind all that it seems like. The, all that seems uh, changing at, at all times, but anyway, yeah. Uh, and so a lot of philosophy comes from that those considerations, and everything else, you know, you know. The, and then you get to the considerations of the good, and you know, where where does the good come from, and all of those. Yeah. Um, so the ancients can bring us, a, especially 
you know, good answers on not just simply where to start to, um, where to go from. And, um, yeah. Um, and I, and I think that a lot of like, uh, what we see nowadays with the breaking down of, uh, you know, sort of like <laughs> the way that academia is and, uh, you know, some of the things being brought up, I, uh, like the, the, break, <laughs> the sort of the intellectual sort of, uh, degradation and all that, I think is that this will bring us back into vindicating the, uh, the ancients, um, which some people have declared, especially with, uh, with, you know, the, the understandings of physics and all that with the bringing back of like Platonism or, or Aristotelianism. There's, there are some trends like that, but anyway, yeah, that would, I would just leave it like that. <laughs> It's interesting you mentioned academia because our next guest we're going to be having on is Robinson, specifically talking about academia and where it all went wrong. But a bit of a different question I wanted to pose to Noku. Say I'm, back to what we're saying, a layman. I say, Noku, I have no interest in philosophy because they were wrong. You know, not everything's made of water and all these things like that. He's like, I only have science. You know, why do I need philosophy when the science shows everything I need? What would your response be, in your humble opinion, to someone coming in abrasive like that to you yeah i would i would i would question uh i would question what they're saying um which you 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 said you cannot seem to answer uh with science so if i've come across people who care a lot about science um almost to to a fault and so my approach to them is often not even trying to make a case for philosophy but more so um asking them about their own science and how scientific they are and what they say uh because one of the ideologies that seems to be very common among people is that of scientism but uh what i try to remind people that i come across that seem to promote this ideology is that that i that ideology is not scientific and so it instead of trying to make a case for philosophy I, in a philosophical way, I question them about their science and then uh, with, with the hope that they would become more scientific and in becoming more scientific, becoming more open to philosophy, which is the, the uh, foundation of, of science. But um, it's easy to kind of lose sight of that because we're so familiar with science and we think that it can answer every question, but, uh, but, but that's what I would ask a question about. Can science answer every question? And the answer seems to be no. Um, and, uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, science is, is unimportant, that we shouldn't bother with it, but more so that it has its place among other ways of coming to know and love God. Thank you, Noku. And going on earlier, I know I asked about the many different schools of thought and philosophy. For both of you individually, what would you say is a school of philosophy that you most strongly disagree with and why? Either of you, if you want to take that, um, John or Noku. Let's go, well, John. I'll, I'll let Noku go first because I, I, oh, okay. he has a better way of, it, of, of bringing it about. <laughs> All right, let's hear it, Noku. Yeah, so what school of philosophy do I disagree with the most? Um, it's a good question because on the one hand, I'm thinking of schools of philosophy. On the other hand, I'm thinking of ideologies, and and they seem to be distinct. So, um, but if I had to pick a school, it would be something like uh, nominalism, because uh, an American philosopher, Charles Sanders Peirce, he he defined nominalism as the devil's philosophy, 
And there's a lot of wisdom behind that definition because if people are going to be honest with, uh, if they say, well, I'm a nominalist, which I've run into in Twitter spaces, um, then that has important implications, uh, one of which is doing away with science. Um, often the nominalists that I come across, uh, they, they, they love science, but I try to remind them that, okay, if you consider yourself anomalous and you're going to be honest, then you're going to have to do away with uh, science, which is what you love. So that would be my, if, if there was a school, that would be it. Um, nominalists are, are my enemy. If I could expand a bit on that more, Noku, especially for the audience who aren't familiar with nominalism, could you briefly explain what is a nominalist and what they believe in? Like, what are some core tenets they hold to? Yeah, well, there there seems to be two uh, schools of thought um, re- related to this. One would be uh, it, it, you would hear about ideas or universals, uh, and they'll say that uh, the nominalist believes that universals uh, don't exist. So, for example, well, what does that mean? Um, when somebody talks about uh, goodness or they talk about justice, um, you talk about someone who's being persecuted for speaking the truth. Um, there seems to be weight behind that. You're willing to uh, suffer for the sake of, in this case, truth. But the nominalist is going to come along and say, um, truth is not real. Uh, truth is just a name. Uh, nominal uh, comes from uh, the Latin for, for name. So by saying that justice is not real, it's a name, what they seem to be doing is denying uh, its very existence. And so it, it seems to be, a, a instead of talking about uh, suffering for the sake of truth, there is no truth. And, and that's very significant if we're going to be honest with ourselves, because um, uh, a philosopher from ancient days, his name is Gorgias, he said the following, which is very simple, uh, short and simple, which is why I, I share it. Gorgias said, um, nothing is. And even if something were, it couldn't be known. And even if it could be known, it couldn't be communicated. And he was one of the greatest uh, nihilists of all time. But yeah, if you're going to have people that say that justice is not real, it's just a name, you're pretty much saying that justice is, doesn't exist. Uh, or if it does exist, it's uh, it's up to us, right? So everyone has their own justice, but then uh, but then there's no justice. So so yeah, nominalism and nihilism seem to be related to each other, and uh, it's exactly what the devil would want us to espouse, and uh, many people sadly do. But the good news is that a lot of people don't practice it. They might be nominalist uh, in a way, but they don't they don't practice it, uh, and then. So there's a nominalism in terms of universals, but then th- this is a little bit more controversial. There's nominalism in terms of relations. Um, th- this is a complex topic to get into, but why are relations important? Because the example I often give to people is um, one of my favorite people of all time. His uh, name was Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. And I love watching his videos. Uh, rest in peace, Steve Irwin. But uh you, you watch his videos and he interacts with all kinds of beings, animals, humans, and there's something very wonderful about that. But if, if we're going to be honest and we're going to say we're going to deny relations, then what does that mean? It means that Steve Irwin cannot relate with other beings. He can't know other beings. He can't befriend other beings. 
he can't care for other beings because he's he's not related to them. So there, there's a lot, and it is a complex subject. But in short, nominalism often concerns universals: are they real or not? But I would say even deeper than that, it concerns relations: are they real or not? And uh, so, so that's what it is. That reminded me of a quote that I forgot who says off the top of my head. Correct me if you know who it was, but the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing you he didn't exist at all. And that sounds very much like an homage to nominalism, where if there is no true good or true evil, what's stopping me from simply doing whatever I want? What's stopping me from consequences or repercussions? I could do anything. And that line of thinking could be very dangerous at times, especially if it's put into the hands of wrong people who already have more darker inclinations, which is something that I worry about. But it also sounds similar in the same vein of people who call themselves atheists. A lot of my hot take is I would say majority of people who call themselves atheists aren't actually atheists. They're agnostic. And what I mean by that is that if you actually look into the philosophical claim of atheism, it is an assertion that there is no God. While a lot of times recently, especially in the modernist field, it was almost morphed to be changed in definitional wise to say, oh, I simply lack a belief. I'm not making a claim. I just have no beliefs, which is something where I feel to be very, especially in a philosophical school of thought, disingenuous. And excuse me for saying it, but a cop out, really, where if, you know, the original atheists, if you call them that, they'd actually make assert claims like Epicurious and stuff like that. They're like, here's my claims. Come at me. Like he wouldn't say like, oh, I'm just skeptical. I lack a belief. He'd actually take the bull by the horns and he'd throw down for people, like people who did believe in the concept of God. But one more thing for you, Noku, I'm going to bounce back to John, but you mentioned earlier that you struggle with the original question because you see a distinction between schools of thought and ideologues. What is an ideologue, and more importantly, how is that in relations to a modernist? So these concepts of ideologues and modernists, what is that for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, well, um, so we, we go back to, for instance, uh, the, the, the ancients, the philosophers, uh, what what John mentioned was very wise, where he was talking about Thales, and um, he we we say that for instance the Greeks were the first philosophers, not because other humans weren't philosophical, but because they asked questions and recognized the being of particular beings in a way that hadn't been done before, um, and and so then we 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 think of. Uh, Thales as asking the question, what is the arche? What is the principle? What 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 is behind everything? All things are what? And uh he, he seemed to respond with water, but you know, you can look and and that's that's uh skeptical that he that he meant water. But the main point was um looking out at creation and uh asking questions in a very childlike way about creation. You fast forward a little bit along the tradition and you have what I just mentioned, which is nominalism. If we're going to say that justice is not real, it's just a name. Well, who gives it that name? We do. And so now we start to get into uh, uh, a a distinction uh, between the ancient philosophers and the moderns in that the, the ideologue seems to be different from the philosopher in the sense that the philosopher is concerned with being or um, let's say reality, whereas the ideologue um, doesn't seem to be. They've kind of, um, uh, because justice is not real, it's just a name, then I believe in justice. 
I believe in justice, but that's really what it comes down to is my beliefs, my ideas. So um, the, the, the philosopher is, is concerned with way more. They seem to be concerned with reality, whereas the ideologue uh, seems to be concerned with uh, reason or logic um, to a fault. And so uh, these are people that are often out of touch with reality. I say that as a former libertarian myself, um, I was under the impression that I had the right ideas and that I had to shape reality to uh, conform to my ideas when it seems to be the opposite way where we, we ultimately are subject to reality. And if reality disagrees with our hypothesis, then we should discard our hypothesis. So philosophers seem to be concerned with reality, whereas um, ideologues seem to be concerned with ideas, which are, are, are not always uh, real. All right. Thank you, Noku. And a question I want to ask John going to more of our discussion, especially I've been seeing this in Twitter spaces where, like stated earlier, we come across many different people, many different views and backgrounds. But for you, John, how do you navigate discussions with individuals who may have drastically differing philosophical perspectives? And what value do you see in diverse philosophical viewpoints? So I could say an example would be our friend Tweetathon. Shout out to you if you're listening to this, where he is a large fan of Parmenides. And although we could say we disagree in a lot of things, I can't recall a time where I haven't enjoyed a conversation of him. And how would you approach that, really? Yeah, I think uh, for uh, the Tweetathon question, um, like Noka can answer that because he's engaged with Tweetathon in very in many occasions and very respectfully they they uh, towards one another there. Um, you know, it's it's always going to be that people are just going to have a difference of opinion in some in, in some ways, and um, uh, the best thing that you can do is just try to you know listen to what uh, what they believe, and you can try to engage with. You know why? Why this is reasonable to uh, to hold, and you know you can do you can do that. Mostly, what uh, what me and No could try to figure out is all is like you know what what are the things that we actually agree on, and how can we move from there on, and all. And because uh, you know there's always going to be something that we can at least agree on. Otherwise, we wouldn't be even speaking the same language, or we, none of us would be able to communicate anything at all, despite the differences in like languages and all. Uh, there has to be at least one truth that we all share in order to be able to make this even possible. Otherwise, you, you're just going to be basically a nihilist, if anything, in, in regards to that. Well, you know, Sola, you and I are talking right now, but ultimately our words are meaningless because we don't have that. You know, we, we don't have anything to really ground them on, like because we have the, we, we come from different like subjective, like, you know, positions and all that. Uh, uh, everything that we uh, we are communicating is if we understand it, we understand it is by accident, not necessarily because these words in themselves are you know re re uh, you know giving us something with respect to reality in itself. So there has to be. You know, so I always take that as you know uh, uh, you know something of a so uh, of a uh, you can say a sobering truth. But uh, but yeah, you know it's one of those things that I always come uh, come back to in the sense of, in the sense like you know I know that. There has, uh, I know that there has to be something that we, that there is a truth that we are all, we are all capable of like knowing, uh, because then uh, nothing would be, uh, would even matter. This discussion you and I talking right now, no matter what, it, like, it just wouldn't matter at all and all that. We would just be going through the motions, really. So, like, yeah, uh, that's something that I would say on that. 
Yeah, and saying that reminds me of a quote by St. Thomas Aquinas when he was asked why he cites Aristotle heavily, which, as we know, he was a pagan, and St. Thomas Aquinas was a Catholic, and he would respond saying that all truth is God's truth. And to me, I found that very fascinating how I see him as being ahead of his time, saying even though they weren't, you know, Catholic, you can't argue with, like, you know, their logic or, like, for some points he made, and that's something I found very beautiful in the field of philosophy, definitely. But um, going over to Noku, do you want to expand a little bit on John's point? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we we host spaces and we come across all we we come across different kinds of people. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when people speak in the following way: they say, "Well, you have your worldview and I have mine." And the reason why I'm bothered by that is because if we're going to be honest, philosophically speaking. Then and and then all there is is worldviews. Then there's no point in partaking in dialogue because a worldview seems to be very um, uh, relative to the person. You're already unknowingly promoting the philosophy of relativism. And uh, again, if we're just going to be honest, then why even partake in dialogue, which seems to be concerned with the truth in itself and not just what we think the truth is. So. So the, the one thing and why common sense is so important is because uh, in order to uh, avoid uh, uh, agreeing on relativism, um, there, there has to be uh, truths which can be uh, recognized by people in the sense that uh, the, these, these truths are real. They, they don't depend on us. Uh, they don't depend on our opinion. And we come to recognize these beings in a mutual way. And so if we can agree on the uh, being of other beings, then we have a common ground for speaking about being, for uh, partaking in a dialogue. So what I try to remind people uh, uh, who are, are so used to relativism is that it is a philosophy and it's a false philosophy and if we are going to be philosophical, we have to go further than just you have your worldview, I have mine. And so how do I do that? Well, a lot of that is grounded in, in common sense, which uh, which concern the first principles, the first truths. And if I can get someone who might not even be Catholic, it's, it's not even a matter of faith at this point. It's just they um, they think in a different way. My goal is to get them to recognize the first truths, because I, if I can get them there, I have already helped them to overcome relativism, which, again, if we're going to be honest philosophically, we might as well just not even partake in dialogue because it is no dialogue. It seems to be two people that are giving a monologue. Right. So I have my system and you have your system and I'm going to tell you about it. But that's not uh, that's not dialogue. That's that's more two people giving monologues to each other. And you've mentioned a couple times now first truth. And my question is, when you say first truth, that implies there's more than one truth. Would it as in there's a first truth, a second truth or how would that go about that terminology? And second, how is that in comparison with the logos, which I always assume the logos to be the one truth? as in the reason why we engage in dialogue and we discuss these complex conversations. What would you like to say upon that? Yes. So, so when it comes to the first truths, uh, we're talking about um, principles. 
what is a principle? This gets us back to the very beginning of philosophy with asking the question, what is an arche? An arche is a principle. So when we're talking about the first truths, we're talking about um, what are the first beings that, that, uh, that, that I wouldn't say that we can recognize, but um, the first beings from which we proceed. Uh, where do we begin? Where, where's the origin? Where's the arche? And so in this case, there are multiple of these beings, uh, multiple principles, and they're related to each other. So one of them is the principle of identity, which recognizes that uh, beings are beings. Um, the, the cup that's right in front of me is a cup. Um, and, and having that uh, commonsensical uh, recognition. Um, the cup is not uh, some uh, part of some kind of simulation. Uh, it, it, could be, it could be gone at any moment. Uh, it, it might not even be there. It's just something that I have in my head. No, it's there. And so that, that would be one of the first truths is the principle of identity. Re related to that would be uh, the principle of non-contradiction. So when speaking with people, we often say a lot of things, but this principle helps us to uh, discard the, the lies and make room for the truth in that, what is it about? Well, the principle of non-contradiction uh, says that uh, something cannot both be and not be at the same time in the same way. So if I'm speaking with somebody and, and they say something like, well, um, life is hard, but it's also not hard. Okay. I mean, there, there is some wisdom in there. But if, if they take it to mean, uh, or just something more simple, they'll say like, hey, I have a car and it's red, but it's not red. Um, at the same time, in the same way, or I, I, I can imagine anything. I can imagine um, a human being that is both tall and short at the same time. Someone who is free but they're enslaved, or someone who's good and they're evil at the same time. That this kind of stuff. Um, I'd point to and I say, no, you can't do that. You can't both be red and not red at the same time and in the same way. Either you're red or you're not red. Uh, so, so it helps to, again, like I said, uh, uh, make way for truth, right? And so we can recognize when people are speaking the truth. We can recognize when they've contradicted themselves. They've spoken in, in a false way. And uh, contradictions would get in the way of dialogue. So, so yeah, you, you start from these places and then you end up at conclusions. Um, and, and that it, that seems to be proper, uh, philosophy proper. So, and, and these principles, again, they don't depend on us, uh, in the sense that, uh, if I, if I thought to myself, well, A is not A, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't depend on you. And so, uh, we begin with the beings that are independent of us, uh, which, which, and then we go from there together, uh, both seeking, uh, truth. And, and also just uh, the last one, I'll just mention it because most people don't. It's the, the principle of the excluded middle. And then even more important, which John could get into better than I, it's the, 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 the PSR. Uh, and this is a very significant principle because what it says is that there's a reason for being for everything. So if somebody asks the question, well, this occurred, why did it occur? That is a very good question. Because why? Because there's a reason. 
there's a reason behind everything. And, and, and that's important because we, like children, we, we ask these questions, why and how and who and what and where? And, and there are answers. There are answers. And so you have the PSR, the principle of identity, the principle of non-contradiction, the principle of the excluded middle. And these are all where we begin philosophy. And, and that's why uh, they're important. All right. Thank you. And that was actually the next question. You caught me pretty good. I was going to ask John because I know he has hosted numerous spaces talking and discussing the PSR principle of sufficient reason. John, would you like to elaborate on that more or explain it to a layman who's never heard of it before? Like, how would you describe it? Yeah, well, well, well there are different formulations of the PSR and you'll find them in different uh, for different people. So not all not all are the, from the, the same schools and all. You find, uh, for uh, for example, the first one of the first formulations of it that was put forward was by Leibniz, and I think it was in the monadology. And uh, but you also will find Spinoza affirm, affirming it, and among others. Uh, although for Leibniz, he does points out that he is not the first person to come up with it. it. You know, this is a principle that goes back to the ancients, um, even though they don't like write down like here's my principles uh, sufficient reason but they speak in the as uh, but how they speak about things is with respect to understanding th uh, that there is reasons or sufficient reasons behind whatever it is that they are investigating and uh so just trying to recall because the so me and noku we were reading from uh St. Thomas, uh, 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 Thomas Aquinas and the Principle of Sufficient Reason by Dr. Dr. Andrew Sullivan. Um, he has, he presented th uh, three uh, general formulations of the Principle of Sufficient Reason, which he titled the, the Weak, the Mild, and the Strong Principle of Sufficient Reason. Uh, the reason why he gave these titles to each of them is uh, due to the scope that they um, sort of encompass in a, in a way. So he would say that, like the you know the uh, the the weakest has a much more limited scope than the strong one, insofar as like it's it's not as though it only focuses on one thing or so. It's just more that like um, it, it it's going on very uh, it's going on on types of reasons. So 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 he presented the weak as that which um, you know from nothing 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 comes, which uh, it's uh, which. It's a principle of uh, in re respect to cause or causality, um, and he presented the mild that, uh, that um, I'm trying to recall. Uh, <laughs> I had to look uh, look this up again <laughs> right now, but um, at the, the the second one I think had to do with the uh, with contingency. Um, I don't remember the exact. I'm just kind of looking at. I'm just just scrolling through because I I did wrote down um, a blog post on. A chapter of that book that, that sort of it goes on to explaining the the principle itself and um, just uh, yeah so the uh, the mile PSR is like whatever exists contingently has a cause for its existence um, and then uh, the the one that we focus on is on the strong PSR the one that Minoku focused on uh, so that would be that whatever exists has a reason for its existence either in the necessity of its own nature. Or in the causal efficacy of some other being. Uh, another way uh, to say that is that whatever exists has a reason for its existence uh, 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 from itself or from another. Um, and the reason why this is, uh, you know, um, titled the strong principle of sufficient reason as opposed to the others, which has to do with like a 
you know, cause uh, a cause in regards to becoming or a cause in regards to contingent being. Um, the strong principle of sufficient reason is all is applies to all being or all that is. Um, that's why it's uh, so it's it, it's in regards to all that is, not just simply the, uh, those things that bec- uh, are of becoming or those things that are, uh, exist contingently. It will encompass uh, those two principles within uh, within it in a way. Um, so, uh, so, so the strong principle of sufficient reason that whatever exists has a reason for its existence either in itself or from another. Um, this is, uh, like, uh, as I said, it's something I always say that in, in many ways, a lot of people hold this, uh, implicitly to, uh, as they are, you know, doing whatever it is, you know, if you hear something, um, you know, there has to be a reason for uh, that sound that sort of came, uh, came about, uh, at least uh, sort of spontaneously by like that. Uh, we are always kind of looking looking into reasons for why you know something happens, um, and whatever it is that we observe and all. And so, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. And so, if anybody wants um, a, a good source on this, would be that that same book that I just mentioned. This titled uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas and the Principle of Sufficient Reason uh, by Dr. Andrew Sullivan, who he is uh, now on Twitter. Uh, interestingly, um, mostly focused on like you know uh, on apologetics as he as he is, he does uh, especially good content on uh, he did uh, good content on YouTube and all. Um, yeah, maybe I could get him on my podcast sometime. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, you can you can also um uh you can, you can also like uh, maybe uh, either DM him or just uh, reply or tweet tweet at him. Yeah, he'll most likely respond. Okay, sounds good. And. In regards to St. Thomas Aquinas, I know I really didn't have you guys originally on the episode for him. I want to talk more classical philosophy, but of course he's going to be brought up in conversation. But can you explain the influential impact he had on not only Catholicism, but medieval philosophy? Noku, you want to take that one? Yeah, well, um, one way of uh, answering this question is uh, uh, leaning on history. So, for instance... In uh, in about the 19th or 20th century, they're about late 19th, early 20th. Um, the Catholic Church was trying to uh, respond to to modernity. Um, or what what is that? It, it is this this age that we live in right now. Um, you had, for instance, the scientific revolution, and and that's been very important in the lives of people. Uh, a lot of it is based on uh, reason. And so the church tried to respond to the the modern age. And when the church was looking at her tradition, which is 2,000 years old, um, the pope at the time, uh, I believe Pope Leo XIII, he selected St. Thomas in particular as uh, someone who's very important for helping us to respond to uh science and scientist and and the time that we live in and so he was given the title of of the common doctor and a lot of that is because when you read saint thomas you um you you come across a lot of wisdom in one place so he is in dialogue with many wise men um he 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 uh he cites or he quotes um for example plato uh, he quotes Aristotle. He quotes uh, Saint Augustine, who's uh, who's a very important Catholic, and and also um, uh, uh, 
Christians from the Eastern Orthodox tradition. So um, St. John of Damascus was also a very big deal. But he also learned from uh, Jews, uh, one of which was Maimonides, who, who's, who's been given the nickname the Second Moses because he's that important for, for, for Jew, uh, the Jewish people and the Jewish tradition. But then also Muslims like Averroes and uh, Al-Ghazali. So, and then, and then Pseudo Dionysius, who was, um, th there's been a lot of uh, scientific discovery regarding that, that person in particular, which is fascinating. But in St. Thomas, you have a solid enough ground upon which to build. And so he's given the title of the common doctor uh, because a lot of Catholics can agree uh, with the truths that St. Thomas discovered. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but it is some kind of uh, solid foundation that you find in him. That the, so that was one of the reasons why the Pope selected him above others as uh, the person that, that we ought to learn from as Catholics. In, in our attempt to respond to uh, the scientific revolution and, and a lot of the things that, that have occurred uh, lately. All right, thank you. And that was all my questions for now, but I have a bit of a surprise for you that I didn't share with either of you before getting on. I have some Q&A from some audience members who are, let's say, fans of your guys' work. So my first question I have is to John... It says, John, a big fan of a lot of stuff you do on your Twitter spaces. You have inspired me directly to get back to the Catholic faith. I am going through RCIA soon. I want to thank you for that personally. I would not have done that without you. My question for you is, I want to get into classical philosophy more. Is there a book that you would recommend I read first to get into it as an introduction? Oh, wow. That's... Um... No, I'm very glad to hear someone that's been inspired also to go to RCIA. Uh, honestly, that <laughs> no, so, uh, so, so if there's any like texts uh, that um, to get them into philosophy, is that as that will be the general question? Getting into classical philosophy specifically. Oh, um, would well, be a beginner like first, like dipping your toes into it. Be <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I'll, I'll just uh, repeat what Athenian always says to us, which is that, you know, just go to the primary sources, you know, like go to, don't necessarily just read someone just doing secondary commentary uh, or, or commentary on like uh, Plato or Aristotle. Just go read it, uh, Plato or Aristotle. Go read Heraclitus. Go read Parmenides. Um yeah, go uh, go read uh, those or, uh, if you can find uh, if you can find them around. They are they are accessible. Um, I haven't read all of them myself. I've you know read the dialogues uh, here and there, uh, some some of the dialogues. I've read some uh, some of Aristotelian uh, works here and there. Um, and and Parmenides is mostly since it's fragments. I just read like parts of the fragments and all. Um, uh, so go to the primary sources, but if you want a text that can, you know, ease you in, in into this, uh, I, uh, the one that I recommend a lot is the History of Philosophy uh, by Frederick Copleston, a Jesuit priest uh, that I already mentioned, because uh, he has volumes and works and, and that goes back from like the ancients to like contemporary um, existentialists uh, of the of the twentieth century. Um, he's very he, he invests a lot of time 
um, not just giving you like an account of like, well, there was this thinker, there was this other thinker, and that's uh, you know that's it. No, he presents a continuity uh, in each of these uh, uh, people and each of these like uh, schools um, that come about. He's not going to just simply give you an encyclopedia or just some something about like, well, you know, this is like you know how philosophy came to be and all that. Uh, he's going to you know present to you you know these you know all these uh, all these schools. Um, their relevance to you know uh, to the discussion and how that moved for uh, things you know c- continued on the, those things that, that were discussed were continued on afterwards with these people. So yeah, the volume one of the history of philosophy uh, would be a, a, a good a, a good source um, in, in getting into that. Another book um, that uh, is the one that I read with uh, at least the first chapter I read it with Noku would be. Um, uh, thinking being uh, an introduction to metaphysics in the classical tradition by Eric uh, Pearl. Um, that one is more narrowed down. It's not a history of philosophy, but it goes into the it, reconstructing the understanding of metaphysics uh, since the time of Parmenides and how that you know continued on with Plato and Aristotle, Plotinus, and eventually uh, Aquinas. Um, and it is one that did change the way that I view Platonism originally. Um, and it kind of more just shows that, uh, you know, it's not simply how people say just like Plato believed in this doctrine of forms where he believed that there's a world of form and that's it and all that. Actually, Pearl will go on to give a very uh, a different view of Platonism uh, with respect to the doctrine of forms. But he's going to go further on to explain, you know, the sort of the, uh, that, that reconstruct how how metaphysics was uh, uh, for the ancients and all. Um, if I recall correctly, I think he's a phenomenologist. So uh, it's not a it's not a very difficult text. Uh, the reason why I recommend these because these texts are not um, difficult, especially for the layman around too. Um, so yeah, uh, so history of philosophy, volume one, and if also too like volume two. Volume two gets into medieval philosophies, and you'll find a lot of like the you know. Uh, the patristics, and then you get into, um, you know, people like uh, Augustine, Aquinas, Bonaventure, others, uh, and to, uh, yeah, yeah. So like, uh, and also Thinking Being by Eric Pearl. Yeah, those are two sex, uh, uh, two 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 texts I would recommend at least to kind of like ease you in that, that. All right, thank you so much, John. And we got another question for Noku now. Noku, I want to express my deepest gratitude to you your wisdom, dedication, and unwavering strength and spirit to guiding and protecting the Holy Church. I want to thank you for every time you're in a Twitter space where everyone's disagreeing with you and you're still correcting people on not using the word worldview. <laughs> you are a strong source of strength to me, and I envy you in your journey of Catholicism, and I wish to be like you one day. My question for you is, who are some people in your sphere that you look up to a lot and admire and wish that you could be like them as yourself uh thank thank you very much um it's uh yeah it's 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 humbling to hear that um that that's that's my goal uh in in trying to inspire others uh that that's the the metric that i go off of if i can inspire somebody um then then i'm doing something right so thank you very much when it comes to um influential people uh or in my sphere, I would point to um, wonderful people that I've I've been blessed with being able to uh, befriend. Um, 
it all began with uh, a mutual that I have on Twitter. His name is Thomistic Disputations. Uh, he he's taken a break recently from social media, but prior to that break, he he began a group chat, and uh, John and I were members of that along with him. And he would go around answering questions uh, a lot of the times to atheists. Uh, he he would he would kind of uh, bait them uh, with with tweets, and they would engage with his tweets and he would respond to them and uh so he created this group chat and uh over time um by the grace of god it, it has grown this this group chat in particular and I, I i would point to the the members of that uh one of which is sola which is the host of this conversation right now um i'm, I'm in awe by his 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 prudence and his wisdom at such a young age and i feel a sense of responsibility uh to to kind of help him um, as, as, as a young man and, and try, if he has any questions, trying to answer them. Um, and, and yeah, I would, I would point to the members of, of that particular group chat as, as being very important. Um, among which are, uh, we, we have, uh, Dr. Kempel, he has, uh, Dr. Kempel is, is doing a lot of great work. He, he has his own, uh, university, online university, and, uh, he's going to be, Starting in January, there's going to be a lot to learn from him for a very affordable price. I suggest whoever's listening to this, uh, whether live or as a playback, look up the Lyceum Institute. Uh, Dr. Campbell is, is is a wonderful person, and he's doing a lot of good work. And um, and so that that'd be one. Another one would be uh, Athenian Stranger, which uh, John just mentioned. He he's been uh, he's he's been a blessing. Um, such a wise man. He he sets such a positive example for for all of us in that particular group chat, and uh, he he's always I mean funny man and can't say enough uh, great things about him. Um, and then and then other other people. Robinson is is also another person there um, who I, I enjoy learning from, and and Damien who is an Australian Thomist uh, who's uh, I've I've done a few spaces with and 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 he's. He's doing great things. Uh, he just uh, he was in Rome recently, um, and uh, and 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 uh, John Boyer. He's a professor, a Catholic professor. Uh, very, I mean, this this man is so so wise, and he's a father, and and he's a husband, and uh, in many ways, he is the the pinnacle that we all aspire to. Um, and uh, and John here, John John is uh, has been he he's encouraged me to. Uh, to read Plato, for example, that was a recent um, accomplishment. Uh, for the longest time, I didn't want to, but but he insisted, and I, I I'm grateful to him for for having done that. And just to relate to like the prior question to this, um, if anyone wants to get into philosophy, uh, read Plato's Gorgias. That that's what we've been doing, and um, and it, it's it's helped us a lot. And uh, so yeah, the people in that group chat, and then also the people I come across in spaces, uh, some of which are are Muslims. Some of which are Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. Some of which are atheists. They, they, they kind of, um, and and I often disagree with them, but uh, but I can I can conversate with them. And uh, all all these wonderful people have just been a blessing and uh, one that I'm not worthy uh, of having received, uh, but I try to be thankful for. All right, thank you. And we should be wrapping up our podcast soon. But I have one more question, and this one is from yours truly, personally, that I have for both of you. You guys always mesh well together and like i said being in podcasts i can't thank you enough for what both you do and 
I'm saying this out of most sincerity in my heart, but you guys mean a lot and you affect a lot of people. Sorry. In a very good way. And thank you for that because it helps. And with my last question, when are you guys going to do a podcast together and make your own? Because I know there's a lot of requests for people asking and I would love to hear eventually you two go on in for up to two hours an episode just reading the classics or going into details on questions. And I know for now you're saying you're sticking on Twitter, but would you at least entertain the possibility in the future or the idea of, hey, maybe we could do something? I don't know. Just what are your thoughts on that? Well, this and you know what we're doing right now is kind of like the you could say the proto episode for um a, a, for a podcast. But we and we already mentioned that um we eventually do want to record something uh, well through this Twitter space um when when we actually finish up a text and be able to like uh round up uh whatever it is that we kind of uh, we we come across with and uh which that will take time. And so the one that we want to do is on on uh, the Gorgias, which we're still reading. We're still at close to the beginning of that text. Um, so uh, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to be done maybe after, it's going to be really after the holidays. It might take us maybe more than a month to get through it. Uh, but that's why I set it up for like a scheduled, like, you know, time once a week, we we meet up on a Twitter space to read it through. And and again, you know, uh, what we also like to do is just extend this to other people too. Like it's not, that's why we don't re- record it yet because, uh, you know, although there's a lot to be said and all that, but, you know, we also like to like invite other people to kind of listen in and like get invested. Also look, uh, look into it too. And maybe, you know, just kind of, br- if they have something that comes in, uh, they can speak about it. Maybe, you know, you know, just contribute to the, to the, uh, to the conversation. Uh, so eventually uh, once we were done with the entire text, we hopefully be able to round up. That's why I told Noku, just take your notes. Cause I'm not going to write anything now for, <laughs> for the moment myself. So, <laughs> I told Noku to do the the legwork of taking the notes, and then eventually we uh, record a space on Gorgias, and hopefully we also like try to do it with someone who is a bit much more familiarized uh, with this. So like, uh, you know, I did have in mind like Athenian Stranger to talk more about since he he always uh, helps us out when it comes to reading these things, helps us out if clarify if we have a question about it, clarify it too. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's what we hope, uh, hope for a bit. <laughs> all right. That's all for me. Um, Noku, John, do you have any closing remarks or last words you want to say before you close up shop? Noku, you want to go? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I, I want to say thank you for, to, to Sola for, um, considering me worthy, uh, John and I worthy. Uh, you have very fascinating guests, um, and, uh, you speak to all kinds of people. So to be selected uh, for 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 this uh, has been has been an honor, and uh, I, I would like to thank you and also John for for also uh, just uh, like I said before with with uh, with the, with the encouragement with the encouragement. Uh, I very much follow uh, your lead. So when when you have a particular work that you want to learn from, I try to uh, be there and 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 help you in uh, in any way I can. So. And and also most importantly, um, uh, thank God for another day, and for and and for blessing us with life to be able to to do this. Yeah, right. I would good. say, uh, yeah, just read your Plato, please. <laughs> read Plato sounds good. Well, 
Tune in next episode to have Robinson on a guest covering what happened to the academia and college universities. That should be a fun episode. And one last time, thank you both John and Noku for attending. You could find them Fridays on Twitter spaces. And one more time, could you guys repeat your ads? Yeah, mine is John XI35. The XI is supposed to be 11. Okay, Noku. Yeah, I'm uh, Noku TV, N O K O O TV on uh, Twitter. All right, thank you very much. This has been another episode of Requiem Radio. I'll see you until next time.